Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning and Happy New Year once again. I hope you all had a restful night, that the fireworks didn't keep you up too late, or you wasn't too stressed out over that Georgia game. Congratulations to them for eking that out or being given that win, however you will look at that. Uh, But we're moving on, so that's a good thing. But we're not here to talk about football. We're not here to talk about um, things like that. We're here to talk about the Lord and living a life that honors the Lord, being a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and for the greatness of his glory and who he is. I know, um, speaking of a new year, this is 2023, and many of you are expecting me to talk about New Year's resolutions probably. Uh, how many, don't raise your hands please, but you know, just to get our minds thinking, how many people make New Year's resolutions? Did you make one? If so, what was it? Maybe uh, you're looking to, for a new exciting new year this time. You're looking for the, the hardships and difficulties of the past year to be behind you. So you're hopeful, you're optimistic for the future. Um, maybe you want to lose some weight. I need to do that. Uh, I did lose a little bit this morning. I got my hair cut. What little bit I've got because I was looking like uh, the nutty professor, Deborah said. So she wanted me to look a little more appealing this morning. And so I appreciate that. And sometimes I am a nutty professor. I get to talking and uh, don't lose direction, so I'll try to stay on track. But at any rate, the new year, you know, it's thinking about these new, the excitement of the new. Well, you know, as believers and as Christians, we're new creations in Christ, first and foremost. And we need to live that out. And we live in a culture that compartmentalizes so many different things. They compartmentalize their work from their pleasure. They compartmentalize family from their work or whatever it might be. They don't want any intrusions into any of these activities. And yet for the Christian, as a new creation in Christ, we don't live in compartmental lives. We live in a life of continuity in our blessed hope and Savior Jesus Christ. And that is a great comfort for us. But yet we're surrounded by people who are living these frantic lives. They, they want better results. They keep pursuing things. They keep wishing for something better. But they're not putting any processes in place. They haven't found out really what it is that makes them tick. Uh, life coaches will tell you you need to know your whys. You need to know what it is that makes that you are passionate about, that you want to follow, that you want to pursue. And until you do that, you'll never reach a sustaining level of commitment. And there's a lot of truth to that. So who, what is your why? What is your what? What are you passionate about? That's what we want to look at here today. In 2023, we're always looking for something to make us better. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century mathematician and philosopher, he said that man is a supreme paradox 
of all creation. We are at the same time the creature of highest grandeur as well as one of the most abject misery. Why is that? He says, because we alone in creation experience guilt because we know that we are never as good as we should be. And until you come to realize that you aren't the answer to everything, that you are not autonomous unto yourself, that you are a sinner who's in need of a Savior, you'll always find yourself not being fulfilled. You'll keep grabbing at things. You'll keep going to that vending machine and the hodgepodge of philosophies and thought all around the world and putting in your coins and your tokens and pulling that lever. Oh, this is what's going to make me happy. It's going to be my bank account. It's going to be my job. It's going to be my family. And so many times these things become idols to us. So we got to keep the right thing, the right thing. We got to keep the main thing, the main thing. So maybe the best resolution of all is one that I kind of took on several years ago was not to have any resolution at all. Because then you can't fail. Because about 80% of the time you make a resolution, you fail at keeping up. There again, what is your why? What is your drive? I know we live busy lives, but that's no excuse. God has created us for his glory. We read the Heidelberg Catechism. What about uh, the Baptist Catechism? Or the Westminster, the first one, it says, what is the chief end of man? What was man created for? Man was created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Are you doing that? Is your life in turmoil? Or are we living out this life that's passionate about Christ? You know, many times we, I mentioned earlier, 1049, I mentioned uh, earlier that so many times we don't put processes in place, um, you know, to, to accomplish our goals and the drive, the thing that God has put into our hearts to do. And we keep doing the same things, expecting different results. And that never happens. Why is that? We keep doing the same thing, expecting different You've heard it said that that's really uh, insanity. And it's attributed to Albert Einstein saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over, again and again, and expecting different results. But according to a quote investigator, he didn't really say that, or there's no documented proof that he said it. It actually came out of an Al-Anon meeting back in the 1980s. And they were uh, talking about that you, you needed to recognize that you had a problem. And then that you needed to recognize you couldn't solve your problem on your own. That you needed a higher power. And, you know, they're, in their organization, they're limited maybe at saying you need Jesus Christ. But you need something that's going to give you hope. Something that's going to give you a greater power to accomplish these things. One lady protested. She said, well, I can agree that I got a problem. But I disagree with that I am insane. And another lady blurted out and says, well, you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. If that's not insanity, what is it? Right? So many times that's what we do. We, we want to achieve that greater purpose in our lives, but we don't change our lives. There has to be a change in what we're doing day by day to reach that goal. What is your goal? What is your passion? Are you walking closer to the Lord in this year, is that your goal? Is that your plan? It is mine. It's been my plan for years to try to do that. And each year, it's small gains, but each year, 
I'm closer to the Lord than I was last year. I'm closer to the Lord than I was before yesterday. And I pray that you are. But how do we accomplish that? What, is there some kind of term? Is there something that we can get in our minds to help us think about this a little better? Because there again, we live compartmental lives sometimes. We uh, live in, in a way that we are uh, dysfunctional sometimes. So what is something that can help us to think about that? Well, for me, as I was studying, uh, I just in the, the messages on Christianity and culture, messages by our other brothers talking about the Advent, it's just, uh, it's just been laying on my heart more and more to help encourage us to live out our lives before the face of God. There's a Latin term called Coram Deo, before God. And literally that means to live our lives every day, every moment before the face of God in his presence. R.C. Sproul and Ligonier Ministries has a wonderful document on that to help explain it a little further. It's, and it boils down to, they put it this way, is what is the big idea of the Christian life? Well, the big idea of Christian life is Coram Deo, living our lives in the presence of God before his face day by day. We think that we have the ability to hide. And most of us got secrets we don't want out, right? That's for sure. There's things we've done in our past because we're all sinners saved by grace. And we're on a journey. We're on a pilgrimage to be transformed and renewed day by day into the image of Christ. And so we got things in our back. We got baggage in our life that we got to deal with. And that's where Christ forgives us of all these things. When you come to him, you recognize that you're in need of a savior. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But we want to keep moving and pressing deeper into this relationship with Christ because that's what it is, a relationship. See, we're disconnected because we think God's out there and I'm here. I'm in the here and now. I'm struggling. God's out there. He's not interested in me. He's too busy for me. But that's not God. God sent his son, the king of glory, the creator of everything here for you and I. He left glory and became a man. He stepped out of the pinnacles of heaven into a world of cruelty and hatred to redeem you and I, to show us how to live and that he loved us enough to stretch out his arms and say, it is finished. How can we not love him back? How can we not serve him day by day, moment by moment? This phrase, before the face of God, is uh, in Psalms 56, 13. I must perform my vows, uh, verse 12 says, to the Lord God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, and I may walk before God in the light of life. Walking before God. Your walk has said something about your life. And eventually we're going to make it to Colossians chapter 4, if you want to be turning there. Because we want to put into uh, practice some processes maybe to think about for our life for this year. So walking, we're going to be talking about walking in a little bit. Psalms 56 points out that to live Coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. To live in his presence is to understand that whatever we're doing and, wherever, and whatever we're doing it at, we're acting under the gaze of God. 
Do you realize how liberating that is? Uh, I think that's a big problem. I know it was in my culture, see, because in my culture, there was this dichotomy I mentioned earlier. Back in the 70s and 80s, we were dealing with the culture wars. There's still culture wars going on. Uh, you know, you, you go to church on Sunday, you act one way. You go to work on Monday through the weekend, you act another way. That's dysfunctional. That's not reality. That creates psychosis in our minds of who we are. We lose our identity. There is no identity in that. We're just play acting. And the reality is that we are to be a Christian 24-7. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's only two kind of people in the scriptures. Those who are children of God living in light and those who are children of darkness living in darkness. And it doesn't matter what your nationality is. Ultimately, it boils down to two, two groups of people God is looking at. And we are to represent God. He created us in the garden in his image, in his likeness, to reflect his glory. Just as a prism, when a light shines through a prism, it refracts and all these different rainbow of colors comes out of that. All the different attributes of who God is are supposed to be reflected through us. And we can't do that if we're just only living that way one day at a time, right? We're to live that way all the time. Think about how transforming that would be in the marketplace, in our workplaces, because we're to go into those workplaces and redeem those workplaces, because they are fallen and broken. They all need redemption. They all need reconciling to God. And that's what we're here to do, what he's called us to do. Psalms 130, we think we can hide the gaze of God. You know, think about one, Psalms 139. I'm not going to go through the time to read all that whole Psalms, but it's beautiful. Oh, Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts afar. You search out my path my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven... You're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. God's omnipresence is everywhere. There's nowhere we hide from the gaze of his glory. And yet we, as people, human beings, fallen creatures, think we can hide our thoughts, our words, our minds from God. Impossible. He knows everything. And one day we give account for that. And we either are separated from him forever in a place called hell, or we're taken into his bosom and live in heaven because Christ has died for us. When you understand your depravity, when you understand who you are at your core, you were in your natural being, when you really understand that you're lost, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. When you are, see his glory and his righteousness that has reconciled us. Oh, what a love.
that transformed our lives. But how do we live that out? Corum Deo, day by day in his presence. We're to live out our lives as living sacrifices, Paul tells us in Romans 12, day by day. And we're to be transformed, the renewing of our mind. It's not osmosis, going to bed with a with the Bible under the pillow. We don't absorb it that way. We start out as children. We're all at different paths and different uh, stages of our Christian maturity and our sanctification. And so we need to be encouraging. That's why we have community. As you mentioned, family. That's why we're family. That's what churches are, families. They're outpost families of Christ. We're supposed to be loving each other. There's 70-something one another's in the Scripture. How do we live those out? In community. We can't do that in isolation from one another. We have to be involved in each other's lives. That's what family does, right? Family is involved with each other. So to live out Coram Deo is to live a life of integrity. If you're living before the face of God, he knows everything you're doing. You want to do your best for him, right? Everything that you do should be done as unto the Lord. And coming from a family of uh, rec- recovering perfectionists, you know, that sort of appeals to me. But, you know, the reality is, in this life, everything we do is going to be uh, not its very best compared to Christ. But that doesn't negate our responsibility to live out a life that's of perfection, striving for that perfection, not for our glory, but for him. Everything is, is for him. We must decrease, but he must increase And the more we love Christ, the more we want to see him glorified and exalted. The more we want to see others come to him and come to know this peace and this comfort, this security, this life, this hope, this mission that we have, this why. What drives you? Uh, The last two jobs I had, and it's not about me, I'm just making an example. The last two jobs I had, uh, both managers asked me, says, uh, what is it that makes Harlan Davis tick? What is it that makes you get up in the morning and want to go to work? Or is there something that makes you want to stay in bed? If you, you know, if you do, we want to know that too. And I said, well, I know in our culture it's not politically correct. But whatsoever you do, do is unto the Lord. That is my passion, that whatever I do, wherever I, I'm at, it don't matter what the position is if I'm sweeping floors, and I've done a lot of that. I've dumped trash. I've done a lot of other things that, you know, would be menial to most people. But it doesn't matter. I'm doing it as unto the Lord. And in um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 and 24, and then if we really wanted to draw in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, I think it's 21, it, it talks about whatsoever you do, do as unto the Lord. And not unto men. See, we're worried about... How I look before my manager, am I going to get moved up the ladder? You know, what's going to help me get that next promotion? When in reality is all we need to be responsible for, we're an audience of one. We need to be serving Christ and him alone in whatever we're doing. And everything else will take its, will filter out the way it's supposed to. And how come is that? Because you, there again, God is sovereign. Understanding living in Coram Deum, you're living in the sovereignty of God. There's not one maverick molecule as R.C. Sproul said so beautifully, and it's never left me. There's not one maverick molecule that can thwart the plans of God. There's not one cosmic piece of dust that can thwart his plans and change his plans. So you have to understand who is God. 
what, you know, is he a tyrant or is he good God? He's a good, good God. How do you know that? Through this word. You have to study this word. You have to take a daily intake of it. And I appreciate you sending out the Bible reading plans to encourage us to do that. That's vitally important. In a relationship, you get to know somebody. You get to understand who they are. You get to spend time with them. You understand what they're about. And we can't understand ourselves till we understand God because we were created in his image and likeness. So it's important for us to take in this diet of food. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Proverbs. We're going to talk about wisdom in a little bit. But I'm going to go ahead and say it now because it just came to mind. And it, Proverbs tells us that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and sockets of silver. Have you ever really thought about that? I mean, that's easy just to kind of read past that. But apples of gold, a word fitly spoken, a word rightly spoken at the right time, in the right place, in the right situation, has the value. Think about the value of an apple. And I'm not thinking about a little bitty, small little ring apple. I mean, when I, when I read that text, I'm thinking about a giant apple that you'd love to sink your teeth into. Now, oh, now that's a piece of gold, a solid gold. And it's in a sockets of silver. There's great value in that. We never know how our words are going to impact others, right? But we need to be ready in season and out of season to share for the hope that we have within us, to tell people about it. It also says that our words have the power of life and death. I grew up in an era when they said that sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never harm you. Well, in a literal sense, that's true. But in a mental and psychological sense, that's not always the case. Words can be very detrimental. So parents, be careful what you say to your children. Adults, be careful what you say to your, your children. Our children, be careful what you say to each other. Um, husbands and wives, be careful what you say because once it's left our lips, it's not having that impact. The apples of gold and sockets of silver. So Coram Deo... It's just living in the presence of God. It's being just something to remind us that day by day, moment by moment, what we do matters. You matter to God and what you do matters to God. Because what you do as his children, in his family, as a believer, is to reflect him and to reflect his character. That's a, that's a mission we all can get on, to live more holy lives, to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's a pattern that functions the same in the church and outside the church. I didn't finish a while ago. We were talking about dichotomy. Our culture, you, you leave your work, your life, and then you had your religious life. Well, we don't live that way. There again, I hope you've seen how I've drawn that back together. We want, it's not a dichotomy. We're the same. We're transparent today as we are tomorrow, as we are this afternoon. We always want to live a transparent life. Our life is open before God. We live a life of principle, not expectancy. It's uh, by humility and not in defiance. And we're lived under the tutelage of our conscience, which has to be trained by the scriptures and the Holy Spirit who indwells us. WCC has a, a mission statement, a purpose statement they developed uh, back in November. WCC exists to glorify God by proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ reaching out in love and hospitality and engaging the culture 
with God's truth. That's exactly what we need to be doing. That is a mission that we do as a church and we will walk out these doors. We're still doing it because the church is not this building. The church is you and I, right? That is what Christ died for. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. So I've said all that to get us to Colossians chapter 4, 2 and 6 to lay some groundwork. And I don't have but just a few minutes left. So let's just kind of look at this and think about living our lives before the face of God this year. Colossians 2, 4, uh, 4, 2 through 6. Paul tells the Colossians to live, to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in the, it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul wants us to be a praying people. We should be a praying people because what is prayer? We talked about it. It's, it's communication. Prayer is communicating with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is communicating with the creator of the universe. Care, uh, praying is communicating with the one who loved and gave himself for us. Paul told the uh, Colossians in chapter 1 verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. See, Paul's living out what he's talking about, living before the face of God. Paul wanted them to be steadfast and continue in prayer. He's not ceased to stop praying for them. He's never met these people. Can you imagine that? And how, how long would we do that? He's never met these people. He's been in jail. He was preaching in Ephesus, most likely, in Epaphras, heard the message, the gospel, went back to Colossians and proclaimed the gospel truth there. People began to be saved during that time. And then the church began to grow and come together in loving fellowship. And then outsiders begin to come in and infiltrate and say, oh no, now Jesus is okay, but you need to do something else. You've got to add other things to it, right? It's Jesus plus nothing minus nothing. It's all by grace plus nothing minus nothing. It's the scripture. It's God. It's, it's who he is. It's his work. It's his salvation. And he reminds them of that as he's going through the doctrinal uh, first three chapters of that, telling them, uh, who they are in Christ and pointing all that out. So, and Tim Keller points out that prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started with his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. Prayer is not necessarily to be wrote. Sometimes having wrote things help us. But boy, when you're talking to your spouse, you don't need anything written down. You're speaking from your heart. That's what prayer is, speaking from your heart to God, being in conversation with him. Oswald Chambers said, we must pray with our eyes on God and not our difficulties. Sometimes we're so self-focused on things we can't see who God is. We've got to look up. We need to pray to him. So it's no wonder that Paul, in his letter to Colossians, had them to fix their eyes on Christ. We, this was our verse last month to, for memory. Chapter 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. 
All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace with the blood of his cross. Prayer is conversation. Prayer is looking to God. Prayer is trusting God and his word. His promises are sure. But he also wants us to continue in prayer. He reminded the Philippians uh, also, he remi- uh, Paul reminded the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He can't guard your hearts and minds if you don't have his word in your hearts and minds. A little baby is dependent upon their parents for everything. But as they continue to grow, they become a little more self-reliant, a little more independent. God's word will never be fully independent of God, but it makes us more able to handle every situation, not be taxed by everything that comes our way. Paul not only wanted us to continue to uh, pray steadfastly, but he wanted us to be watchful and have thanksgiving. That's another thing about the Christian life is having a heart of gratitude. We want us to continue steadfastly. We want to be anticipating that God's going to answer prayer. He does answer prayer. How do you know? So you have to be specific. If you're general about it, sometimes you don't, you don't know if God answered your prayer or not. Be specific. Ask God. He's good. And we're to set our minds on him. We're to look above to him and who he is. He told the Colossians, set your minds on things above, not on things of earth. For if you've died and your life is hidden in Christ and God, when Christ is your life appears, then you will also be with him. Is Christ, is Him. What about our, I'm going to jump down to um, verse 5, our walk in 2023. What does He say about our walk? Paul told the Colossians to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Wisdom, to walk. Wisdom is the use of knowledge. Spurgeon said that wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. Have we all, we've all met people like that, right? They know everything. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. That's so true. How are we going to know how to use this knowledge? How are we going to know how to speak? How are we going to know how to pray if we're not in this word? If God's not our focal point, if he's not our why, if he's not our passion, that's what we're to do. And the walk has progression in mind. And our days are walking closer and closer to God. Each day we live, each moment we live, we're one step closer to eternity. Right? As I'm getting older, I'm getting a lot closer to it. Right? And But none of us are promised the next breath. Right? We can't take... We're not autonomous creatures. We do not have the power of life in ourselves. We are dependent. Whether a man wants to agree with it or not, you're dependent on a life-sustaining person, and that person is God. 
It's in him that we live and move and have our very being. So we're to walk in uh, wisdom. We're to be effective in that. Paul tells uh, in Colossians 1, 9 through 11, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There again, there's that idea, quorum Deo, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Are we walking in the presence of the Lord? Do you, do you visualize that? Actors have this thing they sometimes say it's a, a fourth wall. It's a thing. They get there, if they're standing on stage uh, so they can really get into the picture, their facial expressions are there. They visualize whatever is the scene that they're in. So I'm not an actor, but that kind of makes sense. And we, in our mind, have to have that vision of Christ all the time. And whatever we're doing, that's going to guide us. That's going to move us in the right direction. So we're, we're to be focused that, that spiritual wisdom. We could go on and on in Colossians. If you count up the times that Paul refers to wisdom, to understanding, to knowledge, to know, because, see, a lot of people think the Christian faith, not necessarily our folks, but because uh, I think we have reached an understanding that it's the, this is word here is knowledge. It's knowledge-based. It's not feeling-based. Feelings are like a roller coaster. Feelings will take you up and down, but knowledge keeps you even killed. And that's the thing about maturity, and that's what Paul was praying for the Colossians. He's praying for us. We're praying for each other that we'll grow in spiritual maturity, not be children anymore, but to be adults, to be those who know the truth. But Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And it really does. He sets us free because he is the truth, the way, and the life. So there's, there's some, uh, if you look at Colossians, there's about 18 times that he uses that in those four short chapters. So that's important, that repetition of knowing, wisdom, and knowledge. Again, Proverbs, uh, in Proverbs it says the beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom, 4-7, and whatever you get, get insight. There, it's all about that wisdom, it's all about that knowing. But you know, we can, don't want to rely too much on that because Solomon asked for wisdom. God asked him he says, what do you desire? Solomon said, give me now wisdom. This is Second Chronicles 1, 10 through 11. Give me wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come in before these people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? And God, he didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for wealth. He asked for wisdom. Because if you have the right wisdom, the other things will take care of themselves. His heart, his passion, his motive, his drive was to take care of these people, the people of God, right? And God granted that. But not only did he grant that, he granted all the other things too. They were the fruit of that request to have wisdom. But we have to be aware because even though he is recognized as being probably the wisest man that ever lived other than Jesus Christ, he went to his head. So wisdom can puff us up. So that's why we have to be in prayer. We have to be committed to trusting Christ and following him and knowing how to handle this wisdom. James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God. 
who gives generously, without reproach, and he will give it to them. And then look at, um, again, our, our talk in verse uh, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know what you ought to answer to each person. There again, that's that concept of wisdom, that apple of gold and sockets of silver. A word right, fitly spoken is like that. How are we going to know that if we're not in this word? If we're not encouraging, if our lives hadn't been transformed and is not being transformed and renewed day by day. So our speech is to be gracious, is to be kind, is to be tenderhearted, is to recognize that we have been forgiven and we need to forgive others. It's also to be seasoned with salt. And you, you know, salt is a seasoning that brings flavor to things, to foods. And that's what our speech is to be here, is to be savory. It's to be witty. I'm not all that witty. I can be at times, but it kind of comes and goes. Some people are just, some people just, I mean, you say something and they're so witty, you know. And uh, I mean, Brother Jeff is good at it. And I meant to get up when I got up here to say, I meant, should have said uh, I enjoyed hearing the Reading Von Trapp family singing this morning. I mean, really, in uh, the music. And Miss Debbie playing for him. But we're to have a, a joy about us. A presence about us that's inviting to people to talk to. That's what it means to be seasoned with salt. Season, salt was also used in that culture to, as a preservative to keep things from decaying and rotting. We, I grew up on a farm. We used to cure hams all the time. I mean, you had to rub that, rub that salt in there, put them in a barrel, a bin, wood box, and cover them up with salt. Keep it from rotting. And it cure that meat out. Boy, that stuff was good. So our words can have that effect too. You know, we can go into a situation that's decaying and falling apart and our words can be a savory thing that can help to heal some of that brokenness maybe. And something I've never heard of before, but also growing up on a farm, we used to pickle hams. And where am I going with this? Well, when you pickle hams, you take a wooden barrel, or we did, a wooden barrel and you fill it up with water and you'd keep pouring salt in that water. And after you got a little salt in there mixed up, you'd put an egg in there. And you knew you had the right amount of salt when that egg would float. It gave it buoyancy. Then you could put your meat in there and you could pickle your meats that way. I think about our words, the salt, this truth in our lives, helping us to rise above the contention and the screaming and the hollering and the yelling at one another. It rises us above the level of, of bickering and brings some sound mind and some sound words to this situation. Think about that. Our words are to be seasoned with salt. So I pray there's so much more I could say. But we want to live Coram Deo before the face of God in 2023 in our prayer, in our walk, in our talk, in our devotion, in who we are as Christians. And I'll close with this. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, 
Christ within me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ in my right hand. Christ in my left. Christ in my breath. Christ in my length. Christ in my height. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks to me. Christ in the eye of every man that sees me. Christ in the ear of every man that hears me. May that be so of us, each one of us, as we walk out of this place. May Christ be our passion today and forevermore. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your marvelous grace. We thank you for loving us and giving yourself for us. A rebel who was running away from God. And yet you called me out of darkness into your marvelous light. You called each one of your children that way. We were bound for hell, but you saved and redeemed us. Thank you, O oh God, for loving us, giving yourself for us. May we live a life of Coram Deo before your face today and every day until you were actually in your presence to rejoice forevermore.